Hey everybody, welcome back to the Almost Home Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Stonequist, and once again, I'm coming on a little early before my guest gets here to talk about last week's episode. I didn't really plan on doing this sort of thing when when it started, but if you listened last week, you know I talked about the week previous, and here I am doing it again, so maybe it's going to become a thing, maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, so when we listened to our first episode, Gage had a lot to say about his faith and, um, how his wife Mallory and his mother-in-law had, had a lot to do with getting him to salvation and also listening to, uh, Scott last week, he talked about Michelle and her faith and, and how they work so well together in their faith and, and still towing the line, if you will, um, because she helps keep him in line. And I know in my life, a lot of the things I used to do when I was acting um, in the world, living in the world, a lot of those things I was able to give up because of the love and support of my wife, even when I wasn't um, living a good life, um, when I wasn't living the way I should be. My wife always supported me, had my back. When I was doing something stupid, she could tell me I was doing something stupid. When I was doing things the way I should be, she could point that out too and say, hey, you know, this is this is good. Good job. Keep it up. Um, which brings me to the the big idea to start uh, to start this episode. And that is how important it is to have someone that supports you at home, your spouse, your husband, your wife. Um King Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 12, Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she can be greatly, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Um, likewise, in uh, Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, Paul wrote, let the husband render to his wife with affection do her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So I guess what I'm getting at is how important it is to have someone at home with you. If you're trying to live in the world, if you're trying to straighten out your life, if you're trying to get into get into a church, get into heaven, get into Bible studies. Um, it's hard to do when that person that you go to bed with every night is not on the same page. Um, so, and most likely I feel like this, I'm talking to the ladies here, encourage your husband. When you're going to church, encourage him, get him there. Um, men, those of you that go to church and your wives don't, you do likewise. Tag her along, you know, bring her with you. Um, it's kind of your job to, as the leader of your household to um, to bring the faith and bring Christ and and lead everybody in the right direction, everybody in your home. So uh, that's all I wanted to touch on a little bit for after listening to the previous podcast. Um, I've got a good friend, uh, Pastor Kyle, coming over later. And we will get started on that when he gets here. So until then, get your popcorn, get your soda, get a good comfy seat, and we'll be back.
but I because I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I also listen to like Audible yeah. um, and listen to books. And, and you really always do it normal speed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know one and a half speed was um, a was a thing. I didn't know <laughs> you could do that. I mean, I mean, I find it offensive if someone's like, "Hey, man, I've been listening to your podcast on one and a half speed." I think I'd be like, "Well." It's not meant to be <laughs> in the fast life. <laughs> no, we're still listening. We still get all of it. But there's a lot of podcasts on the queue. You got to get there. Yeah, that's true. Out. That's a good point. You know, I uh, will say this. So I usually listen to podcasts with AirPods. And I was an AirPods hater. I was like, really? Like, you can't have cords like a normal person? <laughs> and then Zach actually gave me... I helped Zach out. I helped him. And he was, as a thank you gift, he gave me AirPods. And I started using AirPods. I will... If I, when I, lo- I thought I lost mine for two days. I'm like, Lord, I gotta go. I gotta go buy a new pair. <laughs> like that's how dependent I've come on them. So, yeah, I always mine aren't AirPods because we're Android people, but their Jen got me some of my stocking for once and or at one point for Christmas, and I was just like, what's? I don't know when I'm gonna use these, but then at the time I was welding and I used them every day, and now that I sit at the desk I'm at now, I'm every day and it's so nice because I don't want to talk to people at work so <laughs> for the people at work that are listening to this uh, <laughs> I, I'm not talking about you specifically <laughs> but um, we've been recording for I don't know a minute now or so but we'll get into this everybody thank you for listening again to the Almost Home Podcast I'm your host Jared Stonequist and joining us today is Kyle Wright he's from here in town and um is been kind enough to bless us with his presence so i'm going to skip over the introduction and let uh let kyle go straight into who he is what he does and and how he got here yeah hey so uh thank you for having me on the almost home podcast Mm -hmm. i've listened to the first uh, two episodes and i subscribed and i gave it a star rating and uh i'm really enjoying it and i just believe it's a powerful tool that I, i know god is going to use and uh, it's just awesome, awesome to hear people's stories and to hear uh, the redemptive work that God does in our lives. And it really is a, a beautiful picture. So uh, born and raised in Wellsville, not born in Wellsville, but raised in Wellsville um, and, uh, you know, for 35 years now. Um, I've moved around a little bit, haven't lived here the entire time, uh, but most of them have been in Wellsville. Uh, most people know my dad, uh, Curtis and Sue, and uh, obviously dad doing a lot of things around town, uh, being at the church, pastoring uh, for 34, almost 35 years now, and then uh, driving the school bus, subbing uh, at the school, substitute teacher. Um, so yeah, around town, um, it's like if you don't know me, then you probably know my, my dad. Uh, but yeah, I guess uh, right now I'm probably uh, most well-known as just being the right-hand man at family church that uh, tries to, to help lead and just tries to do uh, everything that needs to get done. Right on. Okay. Um, so you were raised here in Wellsville. You've known your whole life. You've known God. You've been, he's been in your life because your dad's been a pastor your entire life. Yeah. So I definitely grew up in the church. Uh, and my parents were amazing parents. Um, I think oftentimes when people think about pastors, kids, they've believe or they there maybe it's a stereotype that pastors kids go one of two ways they either become a pastor or they go off the deep end and they're wild um and i i don't know if that's necessarily true i, I never felt 
uh, like I grew up in a strange home. Uh, I never felt like I grew up in the fishbowl. Uh, you know, I, I never felt like everybody was looking at me like, what's the pastor's kid going to do? I just didn't feel like that. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't feel like anyone put any pressure on me to, to live a certain way. Um, you know, I think that my parents, you know, expected me, you know, to behave a certain way, like any good parent would, you know, in discipline when you, uh, act, uh, act up or, or get out of line. But, um, yeah, there's, there's no, uh, I just couldn't hardly tell you a negative story about, you know, my folks or, or, uh, or that, because I'm just very blessed to have two incredible loving parents that, you know, are in my life today. And then, you know, my kids, their grandkids life, um, and just have an amazing support system of a family for sure. Cool. Cool. Yeah. You're, um, as, as long as I, and I'm only 40, so as long as I've known who your parents are, I've just known as, as Pastor Curtis, but even him working the school and driving a school bus all those years, I never knew him until I was working at the school um, and he was driving. That's really the first time, and that was, what, 20, 2018, 2019, right before COVID started? Yeah, that's so, right, because you were in charge of the out-of-the-bus barn, right? For, yeah, yeah, yeah for, a, for a short time. It would have been longer had I been listening to your dad back then if I'd have been <laughs> sitting in church and listening to his words then. I probably wouldn't have got myself in trouble with the <laughs> with the school, and uh, but that's a that's a story for when I get on here and talk about me. So tell us about your your upbringing, your your siblings, um, you know, some homeschool, some public school, I believe. Yeah, so in the middle of five, uh, all of us went to school, uh, public school, for a different amount of time. Like my sister being the oldest and being the only girl. Uh, she started in middle school or in junior high and, and went through Wellesley schools. Uh, and then my older brother, Evan, was homeschooled all the way through, uh, which is probably why, you know, he's the golden child, was never corrupted by public school. Uh, and then I went to school just one year. I wanted to go my freshman year because I, I was friends. You would go up in a small town, like, you're you're already friends with everyone. I played sports with everyone, and I kind of wanted to... Uh, but my mom, you know, said no, so I didn't go to school till my senior year. So graduated from Wellsville, and then my two younger siblings—one uh, graduated from Wellsville, uh, one graduated from from Baldwin. But uh, yeah, I always felt, uh, you know, growing up, I always felt loved for, I always felt cared for, I always felt like I was instructed, um, you know, in the ways of God. Uh, we really didn't have much, you know. We grew up with seven people in a house with one bathroom. So if there's like one, uh, and I know this isn't unique to me, you know, I, I know a lot of people grow up in you know, really what we would view as, you know, poverty situations, you know, uh, but, um, I knew, you know, I, I remember learning at some point that, you know, we didn't have much, but at the same time, like, I also learned that God always provided, like, I could tell you story after story of like, uh, somebody gave dad, um, I don't know, like a slab of ribs to, you know, and we had, you know, food for lunch or, um, or, or people, again, knowing we had four boys, would just, we would get, like, hand-me-down clothes from somebody that would just, like, give us all their old clothes. Uh, and, um, you know, that would be our new wardrobe, you know, our new basketball shorts or whatever. Um, and I just, I, I definitely remember, like, God taking care of us. And, like, I know, like, if we were to ask, like, can we go out to eat? Like, we didn't go to Applebee's. Like, I never once remember going out to eat, like, Applebee's or something. That just wasn't something that we did. You know, we didn't have uh, money for that. Like... I remember going to Pizza Hut when I had to book it, you know, and, and getting like, you know, a, a pizza, a book it pizza from Pizza Hut. But certainly one thing that I would characterize my childhood was 
we didn't have much, but God always provided. Like, I, I will say, like, there were many years, again, basketball was very important to me uh, for so many years of my life. You know, I wanted to be a basketball player, thought I would play for KU, you know, thought I would probably make the NBA one day. And so playing basketball, I remember, like, in rec league, sometimes uh, what we would do is we would have sweatpants, and then when spring would roll around, we would cut off the sweatpants, you know, the bottom, and those would be my shorts. And I, I do remember when I got to the age that I was self-conscious that I didn't have actual basketball shorts. You know, I was just wearing, like, cut-off sweats as my basketball shorts. Um, and so I think that you, you notice those type of things when you're a kid, and you kind of wish that, you know, you had nicer things. Um... But, uh, you know, at the same time, like I knew we didn't have much, but, uh, but God always, always provided. Um, I do remember being a little bit different, not because I was a pastor's kid, but because I was homeschooled. Like I distinctly remember being out during school hours and thinking, are people looking at me like I should be in school? And they probably weren't like if we're at Walmart. People probably don't care. You know, they're just like, oh, there's a family with kids. They're probably not like thinking like that kid should be in school. But there was a little part of me that's like, are they going to report my parents to child services <laughs> because their, their kids are not in school, which obviously there was, my parents were not doing anything wrong, so there's nothing to report. But uh, I don't know. As a homeschool kid, like you heard these horror stories of like uh, homeschool families like getting their kids taken away for doing nothing wrong. So uh, I guess there was a little, <laughs> a little bit of trauma there. Like, uh, uh, are people looking at me like when uh, maybe we go run an errand, something, but being a, a homeschool kid. Um, so my my very first job was working Baker Maintenance. And uh, I was 14 years old, and my older brother Evan, who was three years older than me, got hired on too. And so we're working Baker Maintenance. Uh, I'm 14, and we're doing the weed eating around campus and just, you know, manual labor stuff. And this was like one of my first like real world experiences. I think I was pretty sheltered. Uh, being homeschooled and so I'm working at Baker Maintenance and the people my co-workers are either like older high school students like my brother's age like around seniors in high school or even like a few that were like freshmen at Baker um, and so that was kind of an eye-opening experience just being around dudes and how dudes talk um, I think just like hearing more cuss words in one day than I'd probably heard in my entire life before that job um, and so I think that probably just made me internalize a little bit, like I'm different, um, but just not, you know, just that's because I had a different upbringing. Um, but I think that one, one thing that I did was I became self-righteous um, because I was homeschooled, because uh, I grew up, you know, in such a strong Christian family. I think I became self-righteous and relying on my church attendance relying certain things were not a struggle for me like it it's never a temptation for me to cuss like uh, if you're listening to this if you like uh jam your finger or stub your toe there's probably a natural word that comes out of your mouth well for me those are not cuss words because i wasn't raised in a home where i ever heard cuss words um and I don't know if this will make sense. It certainly makes sense in my head, but I, I kind of prop my self-righteous self. This is what self-righteousness does. It's not 100% logical, but you prop yourself up on certain things and you kind of look down on other people. And um, that's obviously not something I'm proud of, but if I was honest about um, you know where I was at, there was definitely some self-righteousness in my heart because I never missed church. 
um, and I didn't cuss, and I didn't do some of those things that bad, quote-unquote, uh, people do, and I think I used that as kind of my um, barometer or measurement for, like, being right with God, and not the more important things, which are, are you becoming more like Jesus, you know, um, is, you know, Jesus said the measurement of whether or not you're a disciple will be love. Well, I was using self-righteous, right, what Pharisees do, tactics, to measure my Christian maturity, um, and uh, obviously that's, um, you know, problematic. Uh, so I had some I had some very real faith experiences with God as a child, certainly. Uh, when I, um, you know, I remember worship nights and, uh, you know, Bible camp, and um, I definitely, I, I always believed in God. I was always at church. Uh, you know, even when I went to school, you know, we uh, my senior year, um, I started a Bible study and, you know, just with, you know, people, uh, you know, on my parents' house on Monday nights, uh, it was just my mom made a batch of chocolate chip cookies and just invited over uh, as many people wanted to come. And we probably had 15 to 20 people uh, each night. And we literally just like started reading through the Bible verse by verse. Um, I'm sure we fumbled and stumbled our way through. Um, and, you know, Certainly none of us were theologians, we're all high school students, but I think God blessed it at the same time because, you know, God honors those who seek him. We were trying to, to seek him and we were trying to, you know, follow Jesus. Um, so that was a real faith experience for me. Um, I remember one time uh, my brother was going to Baker and I was still in high school and my parents live where they live now, uh, which is out off Stafford in Utah. And I was driving over to uh, Baldwin, and I was driving the gravel roads. And I hadn't, I had, uh, I had gotten my license not too long ago. And what I didn't realize, and you would think like, well, how could you not realize that? That's pretty dumb. I didn't realize that you couldn't drive as fast on gravel as you could on blacktop. Um, and you actually can uh, until you can't. Uh, and so you you hit the Franklin Douglas County line and the Franklin County line the grooves were there so like you could just go because the grooves were there and uh but the Douglas County line they had laid a bunch of fresh gravel uh and so I was uh driving a 1994 Honda uh Accord and uh, just a great car and uh just uh, hit that gravel and uh, happened so fast. I know I fishtailed and then I hit this little concrete embankment over like a little creek and I flipped upside down and my car is upside down, like down in the creek embankment. And uh, I, uh, I just like fumbling around, like completely disoriented. I'm, I'm, the car is crushed and upside down and I had my seatbelt on, thankfully. And I'm just, you know, trying to figure out the window was down, so I was able to climb out the car. If the window wouldn't have been down, I really don't know how I would have got out of the car. I guess I could have tried to break a window or something, but the car was very uh, damaged and really completely crushed. And uh, this was on, again, this is on Utah Road, and so I climb out the window, and I run home. Uh, I just run home, and uh, uh, I don't know how many miles it was, um, and I, I remember busting through the door at home and that's when I started crying. I was just so emotional. I think I was just scared of what just happened. And I remember, uh, going into the living room and I start crying and I'm hyperventilating. I don't even think my parents can really understand what I'm saying, but I tell mom and dad about how, you know, I wrecked the car and how I'm sorry. And I remember so clearly my dad just embracing me and saying, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And we can replace the car. We can't replace you. I'm just glad you're okay.
And this story has always stuck with me as my dad loved me the way that God loves us. My dad really did model what the, our Heavenly Father's love looks like. Um, and this story um, is one example how. You know, I know that now that I, as a parent, I know that when your kids cause damage and cause destruction, like it's so easy to get on your kids and it's so easy to be upset and it's so easy to correct them. Uh, and my dad just, just loved me. Um, and uh, I was just, I'm just so blessed to have a dad that kind of modeled uh, that Christ-like love towards me. Um, and uh, just, just super fortunate um, to have that type of... Uh, upbringing. Um, in my life, there was some deceit, um, and uh, scrip scripture says to guard your heart, um, and I didn't guard my heart, and I think that the two biggest areas that I could probably describe as not guarding my heart were in alcohol and drinking, um, and then in, in lust, and this uh, is probably more, I guess, you know, after high school, and really probably even after freshman year of college, I'm probably talking about, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, I'm probably like 20 years old. Um, I think those two vices of alcohol and lust are very easy to become deceived in because it's very easy to lie to yourself. Um, we tell ourselves lies. We say like, well, I'm just going to drink on the weekend, or it's just college, and like after college, you know, I'll get a handle on this. Um, or, you know, if it comes to lust, like, it's not really hurting anyone, and, like, I'm not really, like, sleeping around with a lot of people, you know, I'm not doing all this stuff that other people are doing, and so you're kind of comparing yourself, and it becomes easy to become deceived in that what you are doing is really not that bad. Um, it's really not hurting anyone, and again, like, you think, you know, I can, I can get a handle on it. Um, you know, once I'm out of college, this will change. Um, I'll stop once I'm married. It won't be a problem. Um, and there was also, there was always sexual brokenness in my life. Uh, when I was around 10 years old, uh, I was molested by an older boy. And um, one of the consequences of this uh, sexual brokenness uh, that, that, that occurred in my life was I always had sexual secrets, you know, because I didn't want to tell anyone. You know, I didn't want to tell anyone that it happened. And, you know, honestly, like, the boy wasn't even, like, that much older than me. Um, he probably had someone, you know, molest him, which is probably why he was, you know, doing the, you know, molesting me. And um, I didn't want to tell anyone. You know, I wanted to keep this secret. And so, um, really, you know, for as long as I can remember, there was, like, this secret and, and you know, that no one's ever going to know about. Um, you know, regarding, you know, something sexual in my life. And uh, the thing about secrets is if you keep your secrets, they just get heavier and heavier and they don't heal on their own. In fact, uh, if it's like a splinter uh, and you don't remove it, it's going to become infected and it's going to get worse. I've heard someone once say that if you don't deal with it, they go to the dungeon of your heart and they start lifting weights, uh, as if to say they get stronger and stronger. Um, so there was, there was always this issue in my life. And this root issue was something that I should have dealt with that I did not. 
And I carried that with me and it manifested itself in many different areas. Um, so it's easy to justify some of these vices that we have. And on the outside, um, my life was going the right direction. Um, I was getting good grades. I got my degree. Uh, I got married. We bought our first home. I got my first real job. Um, we upgraded to a bigger house. Um, you know, we went on vacation. Talking about Lauren and I, we went on vacations to Mexico. We, on, we went on a Caribbean cruise. And uh, so I was really trying to portray kind of a successful life. Um, and again, obviously, those are fun things. And like, I, there's nothing wrong at all with a Caribbean cruise. There's nothing wrong at all with those, those things. Um, but there was an issue in my life. And it's that I was looking to kind of vacations. I was looking to kind of these things, this pleasure, these things that are fun to kind of fulfill a void inside of me. Um, that, and this void was growing um, as I had let so much deceit in my life. Um, and at this point regarding my faith, um, I'm going to church on the week on the weekend, but I'm really just going through the motions. I believe in God. I've never not believed in God, but I and I feel usually at church I felt guilty. Uh, that was my reality. I would go to church and I would feel guilty, but not guilty enough to change. Um, and there was no spiritual fruit in my life. Um, and here's the thing: when you feed an appetite, it grows. If you feed an appetite for uh, drinking, right? It's going to grow and you're going to want to drink more. If you feed an appetite for success, it's going to grow and you're going to want more success. You're going to need more affirmation. You're going to need, if you, if you have an appetite for progress, you're, you're always going to have to have progress. You're never going to rest. Uh, you're, you know, if you feed an appetite for sex, you're all, you're, whatever it is, if you feed an appetite, it only grows. Um, if you, if you, if, if you don't keep it in, in, in balance, if you're not really healthy, if you don't really have a, a healthy heart. Um, so my desire for, uh, what I wanted grew and I, and, and I became the person that I had to have my own way or I would make my life, or I would make life harder on Lauren or the people closest to me. Um, and I would manipulate, I would, a course to get my way. And uh, I bet if you can think about someone in your life, you probably know someone that does this. Um, but there, there are some people, and I'm saying this because this was me, I'm describing myself here. You will make people's life hard if you don't get your way. And I'm talking about everything from the restaurant that you're going out to eat at, the, the movie uh, that you're going to watch, or whatever it is. Um, you would, I would do it in more subtle ways. Um, but again, I'm trying to manipulate, I'm trying to control the situation, I'm trying to coerce, because I need to have my way. And I thought that if I got what I wanted, I would be happy, because I know myself best. And if uh, other people just would see it my way, then they would probably be happy too, because I know, you know, I know what's best. Uh, and this is a lesson that I learned, and I learned a counterintuitive lesson. And, and, and here's the lesson that I learned the hard way that I wish I would have known sooner. And it was this, if you always get what you want, you'll end up where you don't want to be. If you always get what you want, you will end up where you don't want to be. And that's one thing that I talked about when I was a youth pastor. That's one thing I tell my kids, um, because... If you always get what you want, I want you to play that scenario through for a second. If you're getting what you want, the people closest to you are not getting what they need and what they want. And a selfish life is really a miserable life. There's nothing more miserable 
than a heart that has to get what it wants to be happy. There's, there's nothing more miserable than someone that has to have their own way to be happy. And that's what I was. I, I had to have my own way to be happy. And as a result, I became a pretty miserable person uh, to be around uh, in a lot of ways. Um, as far as my marriage, Lauren and I called this chapter of our life married singles uh, because we really just became roommates. Um, we both wanted more. Um, but we were, we were very frustrated with each other. Uh, we both wanted the other person to change. I could tell you what she needed to do differently, and I'm sure she could tell you what I needed to do differently. Um, and so it was very frustrating. And really, um, we, she was a workaholic. Lauren was, um, was, was, you know, was raised by a mom that was a very hard worker. Um, and her dad wasn't, uh, always in her life and, and, and wasn't supportive in a way that a dad should be. And so Lauren kind of became a workaholic herself, kind of taking after her mom who worked so hard to provide for Lauren and her brothers. And so Lauren is working hard, um, to provide. And, um, and I'm just doing my thing, you know, which is really, you know, uh, trying to portray success on the outside, but also seeking a lot of happiness, um, and pleasure. And as we, as we go these two, uh, separate routes of being married singles and, and both wanting our own things, we didn't prefer the other person we didn't think about the other person. We didn't, uh, sacrifice for the other person. Um, and really we, we got to a place where we both wanted a divorce. We thought if, if, if the next decades of marriage are like this, like this is not what we wanted. Um, and so we really talked about it and it was really, um, I know I wanted a divorce and you know, uh, she wanted a divorce too. Um, I think that the only reason we were probably really hesitant to is because, you know, of who my parents are and, you know, how my parents are, you know, a marriage encounter, um, you know, weekend, uh, hosts and, and coordinators and speakers and it, like the, the image that it would look, you know, that I can't keep my marriage together. I think it was probably like that, that like kept us going in that season where we really probably both just wanted to end it. Um, and so now I've gotten us here in this depressing hole <laughs> and really what I was looking for is I was looking for affirmation and I was, uh, and I looked for it in a lot of different areas and I kind of have an all in personality. And so one area that I started looking for affirmation was in fitness. And so I started running, you know, uh, you know, uh, so much of feeding my appetites was actual appetites for eating and drinking. And so I got up to probably 300 pounds and, um, I started running and uh, I remember I signed up for a 5k thinking there's no way I could run a 5k. I mean, I was out of shape. Um, and I signed up for this 5k and I, you know, trained and kind of a couch to 5k thing. And I did this 5k and I remember like at mile two, this little 11 year old kid just zips past me. Like <laughs> I, I finished the 5k, but it's not like impressive at all. Like I just did it and that was it. Um, but again, I'm kind of an all in type person. So I signed up for a 10 K the next month. And so I ran a 10 K and then uh, two months later, I signed up for a half marathon and that was a bit more training, but I ran the half marathon. Um, and then I signed up for a full marathon and it took, a, took me a whole year and a half to train and get ready for this full marathon in Oklahoma city. But I did the Oklahoma city marathon and I did all of this, um, this is a good thing. Running was what I needed to do. Like, that's a healthy thing. That's that, like, I was doing something productive. I was doing, you know, something that was good. The problem was my motives were not good. I was doing this to portray this image of success and to really fill this hole inside of me that only God can fulfill. 
And I think that image that I tried to portray was just kind of all-American, you know, like successful, athletic, um, you know, provides, you know, ha has money in the bank, um, you know, all of these things, this image that I was, I was worried about, you know, what people thought about me. And um, after the Oklahoma City Marathon, um, I didn't run again for a year. Like literally, I finished the marathon, I came back home, I, I drove to Oklahoma City by myself. Uh, I walked down to the, parked my car down in downtown Oklahoma City, uh, locked the car, took my my key to my, laced it in my shoes, uh, the storm came in, it's like 6 a.m. downtown Oklahoma City, I'm like huddled up against this building, like it starts raining, and I'm thinking like, this is miserable, uh, and so I get soaking wet, and the storm passes, and I'm like, alright, instead of starting the race at 6.30, uh, now the race is starting at 8.30, so I start running, my shirt's wet, mile five, my nipples start bleeding from the chafing. And this was like mile five. Like you got 21 more miles to go. And my nipples are bleeding at mile five. So I stop at the med station at the mile seven. And I get all types of like Vaseline and all types of tape and band-aids. And I'm just like, all right, what do you got that's going to help me finish this race? So I just keep going. And uh, the, thing, the reason why they start at 630 in Oklahoma City is because it gets hot. And, and now instead of finishing at like 11, it's 12 and like we're still running because they got a late start from this thunderstorm. So it's uh, like mile 21 and it's like 12 or 12.30 and it was hot Oklahoma City, uh, late spring day and uh, it was miserable. One of the hardest things I've done in my life. Um, but I finished the Oklahoma City Marathon, uh, got in my car, drove back home and I didn't run again for a year. Uh, and I just did it to, again, to post the picture and get the likes and get the affirmation that like, wow, like, look at Kyle, like he's running a marathon, like he's really, you know, got a successful life uh, going on. But that's indicative of the lengths that I would go to, to portray the image that I want to portray and to get the affirmation uh, that I needed. Um, and I honestly don't know why I always needed affirmation. Oftentimes when people need affirmation, I'm not trying to be a counselor here, it's because you have a father wound. If you don't get affirmation from your dad, you often look for that affirmation in other places. I got affirmation from my dad. My dad was a good dad. He told me he loved me. He told me he was proud of me. Um, and, and you need those things. So I don't know why I needed affirmation, but I did. Um, and I was trying to get it by portraying these, these ima this, this, this image. Um, now I think we kind of get to the turning point. Uh, it wasn't like one moment where I had a turning point and I put my faith in Jesus, but I will tell you this. What brought about the turning point was I was depressed. I did not have any hope. I was alone. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And I was really desperate for help. I remember at this point I was sleeping in the basement of our house um, a lot of times, and that was, uh, that was okay with Warren, and that was okay with me. And um, I just remember, again, in that place of uh, depression, um, I just felt like the people, I just felt like things would be better if I wasn't there. And I think that that's the lie that the enemy likes to put in people's mind. Then you start to have those suicidal thoughts. And I never had a plan, you know, to take my life. But I definitely thought that I've made so many selfish decisions. I've hurt so many people. Um, you know, people rightfully called me like, you are... A really selfish person and they would put a, an adjective in the middle of those two words and and they were right I was um, and um, I just uh, 
I didn't know I didn't know what to do, but I didn't have any hope. And it was at this place where I was desperate for hope. Um, and having my faith background, I I started to you know to to I guess really give God a chance. Um, what this is what I did. I started listening to podcasts. I started listening to podcasts uh, of sermons from churches, and um, that's what that's that's really what what the turning point was. That was the trigger that started turning my life around. It was listening to podcasts. Uh, sermons from from pastors, and that's, that's still one thing I do today. You know, each week, I, I'm sure I listen to five or more uh, different sermons from different pastors, uh, just from different churches around around the country. And you know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Well, I was hearing the word of God, and that was building up my faith that was dead before this. Um, and so I was, I was, my, my faith was being built up as I was hearing. Right, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And um, I started reading the word. I started, you know, praying daily. Um, and, and this is what was so key before I activated my faith by doing. I activated my faith by doing. Um, and, and some of the things that I started, I, one, I started saying no to some things. Um, again, I had a problem, uh, really a problem, and I would even say an addiction, um, to, to alcohol and also to lust. Um and so uh, I started saying no uh, to things. Um, I cut down on my hours of work so I could be home more because we have kids at this point. Um, and really, Lauren needs me to be a better dad, and I just got to be around the house more. And I was working a lot of hours, again, trying to fill that void and, and earn more and, and have more. So I cut down my hours at work. Um, I, uh, I stopped. I, I'm around more for the kids. I get the alcohol out of the house. Uh, Lauren and I went to Marriage Encounter, um, and we, uh, we start praying together each night. Um, one, one hard thing for me was, um, I did change, uh, quickly and I am, I'm, I'm pursuing Lauren and I am loving Lauren in a way that I always should have been. The thing is, um, because I was so unloving towards Lauren for so long, um, and this is just completely realistic, Lauren was hesitant, um, because she's like, what, what is this all about? You know, like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Um, and it's, again, because we had kind of drifted apart for such a long season, um, I guess I expected her to respond with open arms to the new path that I was following. And I think she was very skeptical um, for good reason. And, um, you know, she would even say herself that she, you know, she was not where she should be, you know, spiritually. Um and so it's hard when you're doing the right decisions and you're not seeing the result or the progress or the response that you want. But that's even more of just where you have to have, I guess, you know, perseverance and persistence and just, you know, I guess just keep the faith. Um, because the reality is you don't do something for the results. You know, you do it because it's what you're called to do, you know, um, and it's what you, you what I should have been doing um, all along. But one simple thing we started doing to build a stronger marriage was praying together each night. And if you're listening and you're married and you don't currently do that, uh, it's an easy step to take, even if it's just as simple as just saying, God, thank you for this day, and we love you. Just reach over, take their hand, and pray together each night. It will make such a difference. Um, and uh, I remember well, it was Thanksgiving morning. Um and I, I'm really not sure how long at this point I've really been pursuing Jesus and Jesus is first in my life. But I read Matthew 25, and towards the end of Matthew 25, Jesus said, talks about the least of these. Um, and he says, 
you know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me, a, you know, a cup to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And there was, there was just something, you know, the Apostle Paul says that, uh, that he talks about like when people's uh, heart is pierced. And there was just something that like pierced my heart when I read that. And I literally, I Googled prison volunteer that morning and I started the process, uh, filled out the application, went to the training and I became a volunteer to go into uh, prisons and uh, started going up to Lansing Correctional Facility uh, to uh, be, to be a part of a, a prison mentor program. And then I also uh, started going to a, a Bible study, basically like a church service, um, you know, for inmates in there. And um, throughout this season of activating my faith, um, God brought incredible purpose into my life. And I think it's the doing that is so important. I'm not sure... Um, I don't know if backslide is the best term, but I know people, when I, when you say backslide, most people know what that means. I'm not sure. I might have backslidden um, if I wasn't doing, and I know it was the doing that just made such a difference for me. And so the the uh, the uh, stepping into a, a, being a volunteer in a prison ministry and, and meeting my guy, Daniel Ramos, um, it just had such an impact on my life. And this is what I learned. Like, I did it because I wanted to serve and help and give back. But the blessing that you get in return, like, I learned so much from so many different people, people who grew up in different backgrounds, people who grew up with much different lives um, than I did. Um, it was just an overall, uh, just a just a tremendous experience and just one I'm so thankful that, that God just prompted me to do that. And it's just brought so much fruit and, and good things into my life. Um, I also became a youth pastor, became a youth pastor at a church uh, that we were going to in Lewisburg, great church. And this church that Lauren and I were going to in, in Lewisburg, it really helped us um, kind of disciple us. Um, it was really the first time that we kind of joined a small group um, and the, the church was just really outward focused. The church really wanted to love the community um, and serve others and invite others to church. And it was the it was the first time I had kind of just experienced that, um, you know, that church that was so um, outward focused, so looking for the one, so wanting to help others. Um, and God, through this process, um, uh, through this season of life, God really gave me a heart for the local church. Um, and really that became, you know, my purpose and my passion of just building a life-giving church. Um, I, you know, I think that church should be enjoyed, not endured. Um, I think church should feel more like a party than a funeral. And I know that there are times when you are hurting and you don't feel like partying and we will absolutely pray with you. And, you know, the Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, you know, and, and that, you know, we have, you know, those People where you know we have groups like Grief Share and, and Avenues where you can you know you can get prayer and, and, and you know people will will care for you. But a general Sunday morning service should feel you know more like a party than a funeral because we have so much to uh, to celebrate. I think also that when it came to the local church, um, there's a version of Christianity out there that many people, a lot of people, grew up in, and that version of Christianity is wrong, and they have a wrong view of God. And it's, it's, it's never what Jesus intended, and it's not what Jesus had in mind. And I think, I'm, and to, to, to sum it up, there's a verse in John 14, 15 where it says this. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And most people read that, and if, you've, if you have the wrong view of God, then this is how you read that verse. You read it as this. If you say you love me, if you say you're a Christian, then you better do what I say. 
right? You better not, you know, you better not smoke cigarettes. You better not drink beer, right? All of those things you can't do if you say you're a Christian. And it puts the emphasis on the rules. Well, in that verse, there's a comma, and the comma is after, if you love me. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, in other words, if you just fall in love with me, if you just focus on me, then you're going to keep my commandments. They're not going to be a burden. They're not going to be difficult for you. I'm going to do the heavy lifting. Just fall in love with me. And, and these other things, these commandments, like, they're going to take care of themselves. Like, you, you will follow them. Just fall in love with me. You know, uh, it's possible that, um, you know, when you got married, you had a really uh, uh, wise, quote-unquote, wise friend who said, you know, after you get married, you can't have sex with anyone else for the rest of your life. Well, that's true, but what if, instead of that being your thought process going into the marriage, what if instead you just focused on falling in love with the person that you were marrying? Because then, if you just think about what you have to gain, this beautiful relationship that you're looking forward to, this beautiful life that you're going to build together, this beautiful intimacy that you both are going to create together, then you're not going to worry about all the other people in the world because you have a beautiful life that you're building together. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. If you just fall in love with him, you're going to keep his commandments. It's not about the rules that you have to follow. It's about falling in love with, with Jesus. Um, and so God just, uh, just really put a, you know, a purpose and a passion uh, for, for helping build the local church and helping uh, preach just, just the gospel that Jesus preached and, uh, and not settling for religion. And I know, I know so many people have religious experiences, but that's not the heart of God. In fact, Jesus, uh, that's who he um, most uh, criticized because religious people put barriers in between man and God, and God always wanted to, to make it easy and, and remove those barriers. Um, you know, in First Timothy four one, it, it says that people will abandon their faith. It, it talks about this falling away that's going to happen, and honestly, we've seen it. If you look at the statistics from the year two thousand till till today, we've seen over twenty million people that have basically you can use the word deconstructed their faith or kind of fallen away or, or walked away from faith, and I think it's because they grew up with this religious experience and not a relationship with Jesus. And, and, and here's what I believe, and I'm passionate about this. It, it says that people will abandon their faith, but it doesn't say that they won't come back. And I believe that there will be people coming back to Jesus, not coming back to the religion that they grew up with, but that they will come back to Jesus and have a relationship with him. You see this all throughout scripture. You see God is so patient with his people. So patient. Uh, so even though we have seen so many people walk away from the church, I think we're going to see a revival. I think we're going to see people uh, come back to faith. And again, not religion, but, but just that relationship with Jesus that, that changes your life. And we, you just see this theme. You know, and, and again, like God is so patient with us. I'm so glad that God was patient with me. And God has called me to be just as patient with other people as he was with me. Um, and uh, that's really what I'm, what I'm going to give my life to. And, and um, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to raise my kids. Um, I'm going to serve and build his church. 
and uh, the Church of Jesus and His Kingdom. And, um, you know, we've seen some of this fruit just here in our, you know, our circle, in our local setting, uh, at Family Church, you know, what it looks like uh, to introduce people to a relationship with Jesus, not to dead religion. Um, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. Holy smokes. <clears throat> There's a lot there, man. There's a lot of... Uh really good stuff. I'm going to have to listen to this three or four times. I know it. Uh, so I wrote it. I, I, I did want to interrupt. You were on a roll, man. You were killing it. I've got a few things I wrote down. Um, that You said one thing about... I, I don't know why I wrote this note down. Uh, you said something about having the struggle inside um, and feeding... You you feeding the the whether it was addiction or lust or whatever it was. It reminded me of I think it's like an old Indian proverb or something like that. That's uh, you have everyone has two wolves inside of them and they're they're constantly fighting the the good and evil. And it's it's a story about the little boy says to the chief or to his grandpa or whatever it is like, well, which one's gonna win? And he says the one you feed. And it just that's what I thought of when you when you said that just because. Yeah, we all have that. We all feel it. And you know, even when I was living in the world and and doing wrong, when I felt that conviction inside, I'd try to push that away. And that was the one I needed to be feeding instead of the other one. Yeah. So so good. That's, you know, Proverbs says, "As a man thinks in his heart, so he is." As if to say, you can declare the truth that you are forgiven and that you are righteous and that you are holy and that you are loving and that you are called, or you can think natural thoughts, you know, um, and, and either one is going to be true, which is why the Bible says we have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the truth of your word. It, listeners, has there ever been a time where a, a thought popped into your mind and it's kind of a, kind of a dark thought and you're like, where did that come from? Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a spiritual world. Those dark thoughts, they do come from the enemy. Uh, and that is the truth, which is why we have to guard our heart, which is why we have to take every thought captive. Um, and, you know, the, the mind is a battlefield, they say. And I remember as a kid that verse that says, think about what is true, lovely, noble, pure, Excellent, praiseworthy. I literally, literally remember reading that verse and thinking, that is way too much to ask. Like, I know my mind, and I cannot possibly think about, my thoughts can't be that holy. Well, I'm here to say, if you walk with Jesus, if you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, if you make declarations uh, over yourself, you can renew your mind. And uh, I've allowed the Holy Spirit to renew my mind um, and not to say that I don't have intrusive thoughts, I do sometimes, but I know how to take those thoughts captive, and I can think about what is true. I can think about what is pure and lovely and noble. And, um, man, if, if you are struggling, I would say come to Family Church in a couple of weeks. we got a sermon on renewing your mind, and just tune in. It is going to be so helpful for you, uh, but uh, you, you just got to do it. you got to be able to renew your mind. Amen. Uh, another question I got here: What was it? What was it about the prison ministry um, that you think were you were so drawn to? 
uh, it was just a step of obedience. Um, I think it was way different. I remember walking into Lansing for the first time, and like, you're in the yard, you're in the yard. Like, you're just out there with the dudes. Like, there is no protection. If you think it sounds kind of dangerous, like, it's it's exactly as dangerous as it sounds. Like, you're not like, there's no glass between you and them. There's no, like, prison guard, like, with the arms, like, escorting you to, like, no. You're just in there with the guys walking around to wherever you're going. Um, and so the first time it was very unnerving and Lauren, like, you know, like you got to leave yourself in the car. You can't take it in there. But, but Lauren is like, you don't have to do this. You can come home. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I was really just a step of obedience. And I think that those God always blesses obedience. God always blesses obedience. And, you know, the, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you've ever heard someone say, well, like, you know, God, he's really been wrestling with me with this, you know, for a few months now. It's just like, wait a second, God's been, been asking you to do something for a few months and you still haven't obeyed? Now, God will be patient with you. But if you want to live a life of obedience, if you want to walk in God's blessing, if you want wisdom in your life, fear the Lord and, and obey. And, uh, and when you do, um, yeah, it might be scary. Yeah, it might, it might be difficult. But uh, you're going to have you know, purpose and, and blessing like you've never experienced before. That's good. That's the, I've, I've been inside of Lansing. Um, for for work one time we I was working for a company that did insulation and stuff and I had to drive in in just a regular old truck and they had inmates come and help us unload all these materials and stuff for for the work and I remember the guard saying you don't you don't talk to these people they're they're the inmates they're this they're that don't talk to them well this was like a two or three hour job unloading this big trailer and stuff and it's like you can't not talk to these people that are working side. They're they're people after all. And especially the way I live my life, I wasn't a whole lot different. I mean, I wasn't a murderer by any means or anything like that, but they didn't let those guys around us. But anyway, they they weren't a whole lot different than me. So of course we I talked to them and that kind of stuff and was just like I can see how someone could be here and, and this ain't so bad. This isn't that dangerous. But then I got in the truck and we're driving out. And as I'm driving past like this basketball court, I'm I'm staring at these two guys playing basketball, and it's and I'm not staring because I don't I just like in awe that I'm in this prison. I'm just trying to take it all in, and I'm driving in the truck, and there's a there's a guard sitting next to me in the passenger side, and the basketball guy shoots and he misses, and the ball kind of kind of comes rolling over towards the gate, and this guy who looked like Terry Crews, like he picks and he may not have been near that big, but that's what that's what I seen. He, he picks up the basketball, and he's, like, he didn't even look at me. I didn't even know that he was looking my way. And then he slams the ball against the fence. And I jumped. Like, I'm surprised my head didn't dent the roof of that truck. And the guard, those two guys playing ball, just started laughing so hard. And like, for that split second before that, I was like, yeah, this place ain't so bad. It's like, it's, <laughs> come on, prison wouldn't be hard. And all it took was that little thing right there where I, I even had to pull a little bit of the seat out of my butt crack after that because <laughs> – it was, it was a little bit frightening at that time. but So, yeah, going in there, walking through by yourself, I can definitely see why why it was unnerving, why it was – and even the second, third, fourth, fifth time, I don't know how many times you went, but at any point did it become casual, you know, where you're just like – you guys are over there lifting weights and like, hey, Kyle, it's nice to see you. I don't know if it became casual. Like when the when the when when that wall closes behind you and you're in – 
you know, you get that, you, you realize you're somewhere different, but you, you got, I got used to it. I got used, I got comfortable with it, I guess I should say. Um, you know, one of the, one of the amazing things to experience is to be in a church service, um, with people that are so hungry for the word of God. And, uh, there's something about desperation. You know, there's something about desperation. Um, you know, I love to be a part of a, a, a lively church service. Um, and you know, sometimes on Sunday mornings, um, if you've heard me speak before, I can get a little bit animated, you know, when I speak and, um, you know, I like, I like a little bit of fire, you know, I like to feel that fire in my veins and, uh, the people at Lansing, they're so hungry for it. They're so hungry for it that it is just, uh, it is a treat. It's, it's just wonderful to, uh, to see people that are so hungry, uh, for the word of God. And I think it's that desperation, that desperate spot that they reached that created, that created that hunger. Um, that would be, that would be pretty awesome to see. I've seen, like the music videos for Zach Williams, he has a series of uh, music videos where he's doing a concert in a prison, and just seeing those guys like as engaged as they are, every one of these guys, and you don't know what their background is, but I, I see what you mean. There could be times you could be sitting in church on Sunday and be like, a lot of these people have good lives. They have every reason to be thankful for everything they have, and they don't have near the passion that those guys sitting behind walls would. That's uh. I, I think that'd be cool to do. I don't. I wasn't allowed to go visit a friend that was in prison. They denied my stuff, so I don't know if I'd be able to go in and 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 uh, minister there. But I think it'd be pretty fun. Um, the guys that you started your Bible study with in high school, how many? Like you said, there's probably fifteen or twenty. Uh, are a lot of those guys? Are they still living um, a religious life today, or not religious, but a, a, a faith based life today? Do you know or? Was it, were you planting the seeds, and are you still waiting for some of them to grow? Or yeah, I think that a lot of them, um, you know, the you know, seeds were planted. Definitely, seeds were planted, um, and I think that a lot of them, you know, they they you know they want to serve God, and they um, you know they they go to church. Um, you know, I think you know so many people, you know, through your through your twenties and into your and into your through your thirties, life gets. Uh, busy life gets uh, crazy and it's also very easy to pursue different things and really I think a big part is you pursue the American dream um, and by the American dream like you're, you're pursuing money you're pursuing a house you're pursuing you want to build a life for yourself that and that, that there's something to be said for that like I, I I get where that comes from and the work ethic that that takes is very commendable to have that type of you know hard work ethic that Puritan work ethic um, the problem is sometimes that can become first in our life and God can take a back seat to, you know, things that we, we put first, you know, and you know, God said, you, you can't have any other gods before me. You know, I got to be first. He's, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord um, at all. Um, and so I think that that's a very real struggle for so many people, but particularly in this season of life. Um, but there, there was a lot of seeds planted and I think that there's, you know, been a lot of fruit from it. The the planted seeds thing in itself is something I'd never really heard before. Um, it's discussed often in, in the Soldiers for Jesus Bible study I go to, but it's also something that at family church that's um, talked about a lot. And it's something I never re really knew before, but it's so important just to share a little bit. And in, in today's sermon, uh, your dad talked about the light, you know, too much light. You can blind something out, you know, and, and also... Uh, what was the other one? There was the light. 
and the darkness. The salt. And the salt, yeah, and the food. And I can see how, I know a lot of people will call you a Bible thumper. They're, they're, I don't want it crammed down my throat and all that kind of stuff. So used in moderation, like we were saying, is, is very important yeah. as well. You think about the Jesus told the parable of the sower. And when he, he tells the parable of the sower, he talks about four different places where seed is, is scattered, seed is planted. And three of the four does not produce a harvest. You know, the one that does hit the good soil, it says it produces 30, 60, or 100 times. Yeah. So what's to say, like, when when you go all in with Jesus, there's going to be a, a huge harvest that's even bigger than you can imagine, you know? However, it also, Jesus also said, at any given time, 75% of the seeds that you are planting, they're not going to take. I'm, you know, Jesus said this, not me, right. you know? As if to say, we plant seeds, um, but even Jesus said, you know, only 25% are, uh, you know, and we, 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 we obviously are not smart enough to judge which ones are going to take and which ones aren't. Sure. But we don't get discouraged knowing that, um, you know, the, the truth of Scripture. Yeah, that's good. Um, my last question, you talked about when you were a kid having the sweatpants and then cutting them off and having sweatshorts. Uh, so in the past few years... Is it hard to see that that's kind of like in style? Do you look and like where was that when I was a kid? I could have been wearing cool pants instead. Of... I didn't know that was. <laughs> I came back in style. I don't know about in style, but like if you seen, you know, when I was coaching wrestling, the high school kids would be wearing those, and and it wasn't criticized or mocked like when maybe when in the eighties or nineties when you and I were wearing the. I had to sweats. buy like a twenty dollar Abercrombie shirt to have style. But now <laughs> these days you can just cut off sweatpants. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that Abercrombie sold anything for twenty dollars, but maybe a pair of socks. <laughs> but uh, man, that's good stuff there. And what's what's awesome about this is that I asked you just yesterday to be on here, and there's a few that I've been holding on to that was like, you know, that had my back pocket that I was like, when I record this episode, it's gonna be a grand slam. And so I was kind of holding it yours, and then there's a few others, and a guy that I have uh, was scheduled, kind of got some wires crossed, wasn't able to make it, and here you are just stepping in and knocking it out of the park. So thank you for coming, man. It's been awesome, and I, I was sitting here like just in awe, like when you speak on, on Sunday morning. So I appreciate you being here. Do you have any uh, social medias or anything you want to plug for the church or for yourself or – um, for the upcoming Baldwin Church, or uh, yeah, just go to familychurch.xyz. Uh, see what's going on at Family Church. You can always uh, take your next step there. You can learn about uh, what's going on uh, with Baldwin. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Um, if you think it'll help someone, share it. And uh, yeah, make sure you subscribe and, and stay tuned for the stories that are that are coming next. It's it's been a while. Uh, it was good to write down you know some thoughts, some of my story, and to share it. And uh, to anyone that's like hesitant to share your story, I just want to remind you like when you share your story, um, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the superhero. Jesus gets the glory. So often you may be hesitant to be like, oh man, I got to wait till my life's together. You know, I, I'm a work in progress. Well, we're all a work in progress. You know, there's Jesus does not love a future version of you that has it all figured out. Jesus did not die on the cross for the future version of you where you got your life together. Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner. 
And when people encountered Jesus, Jesus told them, go and share the good news for what I've done for you. So when you tell your story, Jesus is the superhero. Jesus gets the credit. And if you don't share your story, you are robbing God of the glory he deserves. So whether it's uh, just with someone close to you, uh, I just encourage you to share what Jesus has done. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He didn't want us to have all the answers. He said, you will be my witness. A witness says, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. And in my life, this is what I've seen. Uh, and I've just experienced the goodness of God. And uh, and if you're wondering about God and, and, and you're like, I'm not there yet. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I want to challenge you with this. Do you see the goodness of God in your life? Do you see the goodness of God? Can you see the goodness of God in nature, in a sunset? Can you see the goodness of God in, in, in loved ones that, that care about you? And if you can see the goodness of God, maybe it's time to be open about following Jesus and what it would look like to have a relationship with Jesus because he loves you. Well, you're supposed to always end on a good note. Um, I believe that was the best note. So once again, thank you for being here. Um, please like and follow. Give us a five-star review. Um, you can hear us on Spotify, on Google Podcast, on Apple Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at almosthome.podcast and on the Facebook at the Almost Home Podcast. Thanks for listening. I love you all and have a good week.